Hi everybody, so today we'll have another interview for my web series on, fi on fighting gender ideology, let's say, and I guess we'll have a very interesting conversation today with two guests on politically polar opposites, let's say, so I think it's going to be fun and very intellectually stimulating. So we have two members from the organization Ends Across the Isle, uh, which I guess it's an organization that tries to fight gender ideology and brings together people who personally experience the effects of gender ideology in their personal lives and so on. So on one side, we have Meg Kilgannon, who is a religious person and she also teaches natural family planning. Uh, and I will want to talk about that specifically later on. So uh, just to make sure, Meg, uh, are you politically oriented? S since you're religious, are you more on the right side of things or? Yes, more on the right side of things. <laughs> okay, okay, J just to check. So, and on the other hand, we have Karadansky, who is a feminist and a political leftist. So, uh, welcome you both to the show. I hope you're doing fine. Doing great. Thank you for having us. Okay, thank you. Th thank you for being on. So, um, for people who will be watching this, I guess you might be wondering, well, are we going to have a political debate here today? Well, and in a sense, maybe, let's see if it, if it goes there or not, but essentially we're going to talk about how gender ideology can affect people from ideological and political polar opposites, essentially. So, um, to begin with, uh, to begin with, and I think it would be very important for people to understand it a bit better, what are your motivations, and so uh, I would like for you both to give us brief accounts of your pers personal stories surrounding the fight against gender ideology. Uh, when did you get across it, in what ways it affected your personal lives or the lives of people with whom you might have personal relationships or not. So if you don't mind, I would ask you, Kara, to be the first one and then we'll move to Meg. Sure, and thanks again for having me on your program. So I come at this issue from a far left-leaning radical feminist perspective. And I came across this issue several years ago when I learned essentially that most of the people on my side of the political aisle have fully, at least in the United States, have fully bought into gender identity ideology coming, I think, from a very sincere place of wanting to do the right thing and wanting to be kind and protective of people. And once I started to really examine that, I saw quite clearly right through the ideology. And from a feminist perspective, female people have been oppressed for thousands of years on the basis of our biology. And now we're being told that we are not permitted to name the class of people called women and feminists fight for the rights and privacy of women and girls. But if we can't say conclusively what women and girls mean, then we can't do that. And we're hearing from proponents of gender identity ideology that we're not allowed to define the class of women and girls to mean female people. 
And that's deeply problematic from a feminist perspective. And I also, of course, am very concerned about maintaining sex segregated spaces like bathrooms and locker rooms, both because that's the right thing to do, but specifically to protect the rights and safety of women and girls. And then lastly, I would just say that I'm very concerned about the redefinition of sex to mean gender identity in the law, because we have laws on the books that are designed to protect the civil rights of women and girls, defined as women and girls, meaning biological sex. And if we redefine biological sex to mean gender identity in the law, then that will mean that male people can take advantage of the civil rights laws that were enacted to protect us simply on the basis of self-identity. Mm -hmm. Right. So now, Maggie, if you could please share your story with us. Sure. Um, I am a wife and mother of four children, um, and I have been... I graduated from college with a degree in politics, and I worked in politics a little bit right after college. But once our children were born, um, I, we, I stayed home with the children. Uh, <clears throat> we homeschooled for a while, and then we put our children into public school, and we, by and large, have been pretty happy with our public schools. Um, and in May of 2015, we people were starting to talk about the fact that they were going to pass a uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, addition to the non-discrimination clause for our county. So right now, of course, the non-discrimination include, clause includes specific protected classes of people based on race, based on religion, the standard uh, classifications. Uh, this was going to be added by the school board to our non-discrimination clause, and they didn't have the authority to do it. So... Um, you know, never mind what classes they're adding, they simply don't have the authority to add any classes that are to be protected. Um, I live in the suburbs of, of Washington, D.C. and Virginia, and a lot of politically savvy and uh, important people live in this area, and I thought to myself, well, golly, someone is going to fix this. No one is, no is going to let this happen. I mean, people are not going to let boys in the girls' locker rooms at this, at this county school level. That's just crazy. And I didn't really, uh, you know, engage, except that in spite of hundreds of parents turning out to meetings, they the school board just ignored all the concerns that the parents had about this from a practical point of view, ran this policy through in two weeks with no input from the county. Um, now consider when they changed the school start times, for example, to let the elementary school students start school um, earlier than the high school students and let the high school students start later so the high school kids could get more sleep. They studied that issue for 10 years. They did impact analysis studies. They had community forums, meetings for parents to get community buy-in on this kind of a change. And when they were going to add this to the non-discrimination clause, they didn't hold any meetings. They didn't hold any fora. They didn't want to have any input from the public whatsoever. They just decided that they were going to do this, and they did it. So the questions that we as parents had about <laughs> what is this going to look like? Are, is my daughter going to be undressing for gym class in front of a boy now? I mean, you know, what is, what is going on? Th these questions have largely remained unanswered. And um, thank God there have been no incidents of violence as a result of this policy. But, you know, a lot of parents fear that that's, what will finally it will finally take for anybody to really reckon with this huge change. 
Mm -hmm. okay. So I'm a reluctant activist, <laughs> I guess you would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So uh, now to turn the tables around and to start with you, Meg, uh, I would like to know your take on gender ideology and, and gender identity. So in what ways would you say gender ideology is wrong and where does the idea of gender identity fail? Well, for me, as a Christian, as someone who believes in God and believes that each person is created in the image and likeness of God, um, I, I believe that you have, you know, your identity as male or female is given to you by God and is, is an integral part of who you are as a person and, and what your job is in this world that you're here to, to accomplish. And, um, you know, to be, to, to, to have confusion about that is, um, it, it, it must be very terrible, but it you you can't change who you are a, a man cannot become a woman he can persist under the delusion that he is a woman and he can wear a dress and he can you know enter female spaces but there's nothing that you can do to be a woman if you are not already a woman and there's nothing that i can do to become a man i am a woman i am not a man and i can never be one and, I mean, who would think that you would waste time out of your day talking about this? I mean, this is just basics of life. And yet, here we are. We're going to talk about this for an hour today because people have decided that they can change their sex. And they by calling it gender and, and pretending that it's something that it's not. I, I'm not the most sophisticated person in the world. But I know that men can't be women and women can't be men, period. And, and to think that you can be and to force me to acknowledge something that I know is wrong, that I know isn't true. Let's not say right or wrong. That's kind of judgy, right? So I know it's not true. This man who's wearing a dress, who, you know, wear whatever you want, you know, he's a man. And I, I, he can't force me to refer to him as a woman. Right? I have a right to acknowledge what is true to, to me. And so this is where the ideology comes in, right? This is where this is where it becomes very totalitarian. This is where people are now forcing on me. It's not enough that you're gonna wear your dress and go about your business. That's fine. I really I don't care what you do in your private life or in your public life. But when you require an action on my part to participate in what you're doing. That's where I have to say, wait a minute, this is not okay. This is this is this is a bridge too far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess science also agree agrees with you when it comes to define men and women not on the same terms, but <laughs> well. <laughs> Uh, so, now, uh, Kara, turning back to you, uh, I know that you think that gender identity is misogynistic and homophobic. So, uh, how so, and how do you tie that with gender uh, ideology? So, I think that gender is a set of sex-based stereotypes that are imposed on people on the basis of sex. So, there's a set of stereotypes including characteristics, attributes, traits that are imposed on women because of our sex. We are supposed to be nurturing, 
we are supposed to not be ambitious, all of these stereotypes that have existed for a long time, and they are used to keep women in a position of subservience politically and societally. So to me, that's what gender is. And so to suggest that a male person who identifies with that set of stereotypes is actually female is profoundly sexist. So I think that to the extent that gender identity ideology reinforces gender norms, which it does, that's a problem from a feminist perspective. And in terms of homophobia, you know, the truth is that people are either attracted to members of the opposite sex, or they're attracted to members of the same sex, or they're attracted to members of either sex. But implicit in all of that is an acknowledgement that sex is real. And so to suggest that somehow sex is not real and that gender identity is the prevailing factor really denies the right of people to be attracted to members of a particular sex. It's also homophobic because we're seeing increasingly lesbians in particular are being told that if they refuse to date men or have sexual relations with men, that they're transphobic. And that is deeply unfair to women who simply want to have relationships with, date, and have sexual relationships with other women. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so would you say that the problem you have with gender identity and the possibility of people deciding to change their gender identity legally is that uh, we have women's rights and so those rights are legally and biologically, because there's a biological reality behind them, are legally directed at women. And so if we have, for example, men changing their sex or gender, to female, then that would be a way to undermine those, uh, those rights? Yeah, absolutely. And I would also maintain that sex and gender are very much not the same thing. So for someone to be able to change their sex on their driver's license, for example, causes a lot of problems. And I will say I also am in complete agreement with Meg about the free speech issue. I wanted to also note that. Um, but the other thing that I would say, yes, that allowing men to self-identify as women is deeply problematic from the perspective of protecting the privacy and safety of women and girls. And the other thing I would just add regarding driver's licenses and birth certificates is that we as a society have not thought through the long-term implications of allowing people to do that. So, for example, here in the U.S., our local police departments report crime to the FBI, and they report it based on a number of characteristics like race and sex. And we know throughout history that the overwhelming majority of violent crime is committed by males. But if we now allow males to change their driver's licenses and birth certificates to say female or non-binary or some third designation or something, we're really going to be skewing crime statistics. And we have not thought through the long-term implications of that or the long-term implications, for example, of our ability to do public health research, right? Our Centers for Diseases Control, Center for Diseases Control, tracks the long-term health impacts of various diseases and medications and all sorts of things on the basis of a number of factors, including sex. And allowing people to change their sex designation on a driver's license or birth certificate really undermines our ability to conduct that kind of research. Mm -hmm. So now going back to Meg, uh, 
would you say what would you say about carers concerns do you agree with them and uh, i would also like to ask you is there something that comes from the religious right political right point of view um, that would provide further reasons to be concerned about women's rights and women's safety and things like that of course there is we have of course because as as a person on the right or as a conservative I think that each individual person is to be valued and has an inherent dignity just because they're, they exist, right? Every person has a human dignity because they exist. And for me, that that's for, for women and for men. I know Kara also thinks men have dignity. I don't mean to imply that that's what she said. But, you know, it, it, it also, you know, to the degree that it's demeaning to women for men to be able to claim to be women, it's also demeaning to men for women to claim to be men. I mean, that, that, that also is not okay. Um, so I, I totally agree with the assessment on it, the, the problem when it comes to women's rights and, and the, the fact that, you know, you, you need to be honest about who you are. They're the crime statistics. Also, what if you just go to the emergency room and your driver's license says you're a male? but you happen to still have ovaries and you have some sort of a crisis of health related to your female anatomy that's intrinsic to you. You know, how, how much longer is it going to take that medical team to figure out what's actually wrong with you if they don't really know that you're physiologically a woman, regardless of what sort of body modifications you may have made to yourself to appear as a man, you still are a woman. You have female parts. Female parts are making up the you that's you. And so this is this is the, the same issue with, with Kara in terms of the crime statistics. It's just we have not considered what that means. Does it mean that you can decide that you're a different race? Can I can I self-identify as an Asian? I live in a, in a community where we have a huge Korean population. Can I just decide that I'm going to identify as Korean here now? Uh, if I can be, a, can I be a Korean man? Is that is that something that's open to me now? And I can claim, as far as the state is concerned, that that is who and what I am. What are the what are the ramifications of that? People, th those are the kind of questions that you know regular people ask and that that just don't get answered. They're, they're you know, we're just not sophisticated or we're not, we're, we're, we're getting bogged down in unnecessary details when really it's not a hard issue. <laughs> it is and it isn't. It's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. uh, and since we're talking here about sex and gender and gender identity and gender roles, perhaps even, um, uh, now I want to get to a point where we, you will probably disagree with each other, <laughs> that is. Uh, and I would like to start with you, Meg, again. So, uh, what do you think is women's role in society or what should their or your role be? What do you think is, what do you think about what is nowadays granted as rights to women mainly coming from the political re left and we, with which you disagree or eventually agree, I don't know. Sure, well, um, I, would, I would say that something like the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution, for example, um, isn't necessary because women have the same rights that men have 
under the Constitution as it's written because it's written for all people. Um, I would say that every human right is just that, a human right, and that there doesn't need to be very much distinction between men and women in terms of rights because we're all human beings. Now, um, it's true that historically <clears throat> maybe opportunities have been different for women and men. That's definitely, definitely the case. Um, part of that is because of just the, the lives that we lived and the fact that, you know, it's, it's women from whom children come. We, we, we gestate the babies uh, and, and, and have, the, have the babies. So this is, you know, now it is much easier to do that because of medical technology. Um, with all due respect to my midwife sisters out there who are for home birthing, you know, it's much easier to have a baby now than it was in 1818, right? There's just no debating that, that, that women are more likely to survive childbirth and gestation than they were in 1818. So this means that women can participate in society in different ways. And as a culture and a society, we have to figure out what that looks like. And I, I'm not comfortable with anybody really defining what that is. Um, either from the right or the left, I think it's up to the individual to define that and to, to, to be in whatever, you know, as a conservative Christian, that tradition for me would inform how I operate in the world. Or it might not. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that answered the question. I'm not sure if it did. <laughs> yes, it did. And just before we turn back to Kara to know her, her take on this, um, what is natural family planning? Natural family planning is the um, observation of a biological markers for the woman and the man so that uh, a woman can understand when she is fertile and when she is not fertile and the couple together can regulate their fertility by altering their behavior at times. We know the man is always fertile, right? And so we need to focus our efforts on understanding when the woman is fertile and monitoring her body so that the couple can decide when to have sex or not have sex, to have a baby or to not have a baby. And natural family planning um, is, you know, Purely natural family planning is no artificial means at all of birth regulation. There is also something called fertility awareness-based methods, which might use a barrier at the fertile time or something to regulate birth. That is, not, They wouldn't use hormones or a surgical uh, alterations to manage birth. Um, natural family planning is simply natural family planning based on the couple's cycles. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Uh, and so, Kara, what is your political leftist radical feminist perspective on these issues about women's roles uh, and, I guess, what is to be a woman and what is femininity? So, for hundreds of years in the United States and thousands of years in many places, women were kept out of political spheres, business spheres, educational spheres, and I think that that's wrong. I think that we need more women in positions of power uh, across spectrum in society. We definitely need women in positions of political power. 
and we need to see more female leadership within, again, business, education, etc. So I want to see more women have those positions of power. In terms of laws, I do think we still need what in the U.S. we call Title IX, which is a civil rights law that protects women and girls in education. I do think we still need that, especially now, given what's going on in schools around gender identity. And we need to define sex to mean sex under our laws. Um, and then I guess I would just say that in terms of reproduction, I think that women should have total reproductive sovereignty in their lives. So I certainly wouldn't object to any of the practices that Meg is referring to for women who want to take that approach. And I also think that if women want to take hormones for reproductive purposes, that's fine. And I want women to have complete sovereignty over what happens in their reproductive lives. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and so uh, now, just to make you converge again, and starting with Kara, what is ENDS Across the Isle, uh, the organization you're both members of, and what are its main aims and goals and the ideology behind it? So Hands Across the Isle came together when a lesbian who had been invited to serve in an official capacity at a gay pride march was then uninvited because of her views on gender identity, which align with mine and Meg's. And a Christian conservative woman learned that and reached out and said, we disagree on many things, yet we agree on this issue. So why don't we come together as women across the political spectrum and see if we can get something done? And it grew from there. I don't know how many members there are now. I think it's a couple hundred. And we work together to do advocacy to push back against gender identity ideology. So, for example, the woman that I mentioned, the Christian conservative woman who reached out to start the organization, invited me, because I live in Washington, D.C., and a fellow feminist who lives right outside of Washington, D.C., to the Department of Education to have a conversation about their policies around gender identity ideology. So we came together and we had a meeting with the officials at the Department of Education and it was sort of equally represented by conservatives and leftist radical feminists. And we think, I, I think, I don't want to speak for Meg, but I, I think that we all think that there is something very powerful in coming together across the political aisle and saying we are women and we are not going to take this and we very explicitly refuse <laughs> to discuss the issues on which we disagree and over time we have become very disciplined about that we're we're all very good at tabling the issues on which we disagree and building trust with one another it's been a really powerful experience at least for me mm -hmm. and before i ask meg about it um how do you feel uh, being together with people from other sides of the political spectrum, even people that are from the opposite side of the, of the political sp spectrum you're, you're in? Uh, how do you personally feel uh, about that uh, and uh, about creating a group that even if people couldn't agree politically, uh, join together to fight the same fight? It's really hard sometimes to 
for me to hold in my head the knowledge that people on the political right within the organization would love to enact laws and policies that that I abhor. <laughs> uh, so I so I have to hold that. But in holding that and knowing that we come together on this issue, I've had the opportunity to develop really positive and powerful relationships with some people that I otherwise probably wouldn't even ever have encountered. And just speaking for myself, I think this issue is so important. It is so critical and we have to be pushing back against it. And I would also just add, and, and Meg is probably better to speak on this, but just in my experience, when people on the political right question or challenge gender identity ideology, they are very often labeled hateful right-wing bigots. And there is no one who can credibly claim that I am right-wing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now turning to Meg then, uh, what makes you feel accommodated at this organization? Again, uh, being together with people from other points of the political spectrum. Right. Well, I honestly, I have really loved being a part of this group and I, I feel really very honored to have been included. Um, it's, it's for me as a person on the right, I don't earn any uh, special privileges because I am speaking out against gender identity because all of my friends already agree with me on that. And they, you know, they say things like, thank you, we're so glad you're speaking out on this. This is important, you know. But when I hear some of the stories from our friends on the left, the, the very real consequences that they faced in their personal lives and their professional lives for challenging this ideology, I'm very humbled, you know, I feel like I don't do enough because they they're, they have come to this at, at, from a place that has really cost them something. Um, and, and I very much appreciate that part of their experience. Um, and we do, it is, it is really hard, as she said, to understand that I am working with women who on very major policy areas, very major religious areas, disagree pro family, you know, we're 180 degrees apart on where we are on this, these issues. And yet, there are a lot of things that we do agree on. I mean, over the course of being involved in the group, I, I didn't realize that there was a portion of the feminist movement that was opposed to pornography, for example, or uh, has a problem with redefining prostitution as sex work. I, ha I had no idea. I thought that those were right-wing Christian issues. Um, and I'm thrilled at the prospect of developing more areas of common ground because frankly, and I speak only for myself, I feel like in American politics, abortion has been a very divisive issue for women. And that issue has divided women significantly. And the whole country has suffered because women have been divided and our voice has not been heard. We've been further fractured and splintered apart so that our collective voice isn't heard in a lot of areas because of the disagreement about that issue. So if we can just set that aside, let's just set that aside and talk about the places that we do agree, I think that our country and the world will be a really a much better place, not to sound totally Pollyanna, but anytime 
women come together and work for the good of others, society benefits. It's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I don't know which one of you would like to take on this question, but I would like to ask you um, what sort of issues in terms of uh, trans rights or gender ideology rights, let's say, uh, what, what types of things are happening now uh, politi politically in the US or even in North America or even other countries, if you want to talk about that, that you would like for people to be aware of? Well, I, I think the issue of changing the birth certificates to reflect something different um, is huge. I mean, what then does an official document mean that, that if it can be changed um, at, at will? That, that is, that's an issue that just has profound implications. And they're in states all across the United States and, and countries all over the world. That's happening. They're allowing the changing of documents to reflect, you know, who you think you are rather than who you actually are. So that's one thing that really concerns um, me. I don't know. What do you think, Kara? No, I would totally agree with that. Um, so this particular topic is really heating. Uh, the, the topic that Meg just named in terms of changing birth certificates is really heating up in the UK right now with the UK's consideration of its Gender Recognition Act. The proposal is to amend the Gender Recognition Act to allow anyone to change their birth certificate at any time for any reason based solely on self-identity. And women have really come together in the UK in a way that is awe-inspiring and amazing. And they have come together to question that at huge risk to themselves. As Meg said, there have been credible threats of violence, actual acts of violence. A woman who attended an event to discuss the Gender Recognition Act um, was beaten by activists, uh, gender identity proponents. So the, the threats of violence are real, and UK women are really coming together around this to fight back. And just in the last couple days, I think it was yesterday, it was the day before yesterday, 300 women left the UK Labour Party, just quit the UK Labour Party because the Labour Party was, had decided to allow men to run for office in, um, in races where the candidacy had been reserved for women. I don't fully understand the issue because we in the US don't have that policy, but my understanding is the, the Labour Party in the UK um, had a certain number of slots that were left for female candidates, and the Labour Party announced that it was going to allow men to run in those slots, and 300 women just walked out of the party, which I think is amazing. Um, so it's those kinds of issues, and then the only other thing I would say, and this is an issue that I know is very close to Meg's heart is the issue of schools. Yes, so, yes. you know, we're seeing across the country curriculums being changed uh, in younger and younger grades to teach children that they can change sex, which must be so confusing for these kids and terrifying for their parents. Um, we're seeing parents across the country also feel very vulnerable because their children are coming home and announcing that they're trans and demanding hormones and demanding surgery and these parents are absolutely terrified. 
Mm-hmm. And would you say that uh, in the US, particularly, there are there have already been some particular cases of infringement uh, in people's freedom of expression related to trans rights? Yes, there there have been for sure. I mean, in my school system alone here in Fairfax County, Virginia, the Student Rights and Responsibilities Handbook explains that you know girls who complain about boys. Uh, in the in their personal spaces um, are going can face discipline they'll be re-educated first to understand the error of their thinking and then if that doesn't work um, they'll lose privileges to participate in extracurricular activities and if that doesn't work then well maybe they will just have to face uh, more significant discipline maybe even expulsion from school for refusing to conform now fortunately that hasn't been tested but it's in, the, it's in the rules, it's in the book. That's how they're running the school now. Um, there's a case in Ohio where parents lost custody of their daughter to her grandparents because they didn't want to pursue the daughter to pursue um, a hormonal therapy and uh, possibly surgery to become, you know, she's a, a girl trying to become a boy. And the parents objected to that. They lost custody of her in Oregon. Uh, for example, you can have uh, sex reassignment surgery prefer- performed as young as 15, paid for by Medicaid without parental consent. It, it's just it, it's just stunning to me as a parent to think that there are parents who are navigating through these crises that have been created. Just <laughs> it, this this just wasn't even a thought. 50 years ago. I mean, when I was a little girl, I looked a lot like my father. I wore my hair really short and I would dress up like my dad on Halloween. He was a Snap-on tools dealer and I would carry a little toolbox and wear one of a shirt with a nameplate on it and, you know, can kids do that now without being without being told that they should wonder if they're actually a boy? You know, was I just, you know, a, tra- a boy trapped in a girl's body? Of course not. That's absurd. But, I mean, this is, these are the, the worries that parents legitimately have. If they have children who don't conform to stereotypes, if you have a girl who, who enjoys hunting and fishing or you have a boy who likes to dance, you know, th- that has very serious ramifications for that child now. When... Ten years ago, you could have just been accepted for who you are. You're a boy who likes to dance. You're, you're a girl who likes to hunt. Now, maybe you're not a girl. Maybe you're not a boy. That That's really, really uh, profoundly new territory for society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and j- just before we end, and to make this point clear, and to start with you, Meg, uh, do, do you have something against uh, trans people or if, for example, someone is diagnosed with gender dysphoria and then changes sex, do you have something against that? Uh, uh, not, not if I don't have anything to do with it. Are, are they going to, is this person going to force me to applaud them in some official capacity? Because that that's, that's not okay, you know, the, people are free to live their life as they want to, and if men want to wear dresses and women want to wear pants, I have on pants right now. I mean, it's whatever. That's fine. 
you're free, you're an adult and you're free to do what you want to do. Where I do draw the line, however, is with children and with social transitioning of children and medical transitioning of children. That has not been well well researched. This this is not something that is that is, you know, the trans activists will say that this is the science has decided and it's it's definitively true that you should do this for children and you should follow this process for children. That I have a huge problem with. And I do oppose that with every fiber of my being. And I will always say that that is wrong. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Kara? What do you have to say about uh, trans people? Would you say that uh, someone that is well diagnosed with gender dysphoria and, and then legally changes sex, uh, do you have something against that? I think we need to, as a society, think really carefully about language. And so when we say trans people, there's not a settled understanding of what the word transgender actually means. So to the extent that there are people who sincerely believe that they actually are the opposite sex, and my understanding is that there are such people, I think from the literature that I've read that most often the appropriate therapeutic approach is therapy. That's a form of dysphoria. That's a form of confusion about one's body that can be addressed most often with therapy. For people for whom hormonal and surgical therapy is warranted, which my understanding is that that is a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the population, sure, of course those people need to be treated with the utmost care and respect. But I just want us to be really careful about what we mean when we say transgender, because if all we mean is someone who adopts the stereotypes that society imposes on the opposite sex, I think that's deeply problematic for several reasons, one of which is that it's deeply misogynistic. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, I don't know if any of you would like to leave any final remarks or even perhaps share with people uh, something that, that you're doing in ends across the aisle, something that you're specifically fighting right now, and. Also, if you're active on social media, just share that with, with people, please. One of the projects we did as part of Hands Across the Aisle that I'm really excited about is a letter that we sent to Housing and uh, Urban Depar Development Secretary Ben Carson um, asking that the rules requiring men to be allowed in women's shelters Asking that that rule be rescinded and preserving same-sex spaces for women in crisis. And um, I was just, that was one of the first things we worked on when I came to Hands Across the Island. I have been just blown away by the uh, research and, and um, how articulate the, the women on the left are on this, on this issue in particular and the, the, the real value of having two sides of an argument made in one document for one purpose so that you can't, they can't say, oh, well, these are just a bunch of conservative Christians. Oh, oh, these are just liberal feminists. No, it's, it's women. We're women and we don't like this. That, that's been a really great um, project that we've worked on and we're hoping to have a meeting with Secretary Carson to discuss it or with someone from his staff. 
I, I work for an or, with an organization in Fairfax County called Concerned Parents and Educators of Fairfax County. And we have a website that you can visit. Um, it has some, some historical context about what happened here. And um, I, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. So love to talk to you. <laughs> and what about you, Kara? I mean, I, I would add, um, this is not a project of Hands Across the Aisle, but it was very much supported by Hands Across the Aisle, was a brief that was filed in the Supreme Court jointly by the Women's Liberation Front, which is a radical feminist organization, and the Family Policy Alliance, which is a Christian conservative organization. And those two organizations, and I, I'm in the Women's Liberation Front, so full disclosure, um, those two organizations jointly filed a, a friend of the court brief in the Supreme Court in a case in which a high school girl um, was identifying as a boy and the case eventually went away but we think that was very powerful and Hands Across the Aisle was very supportive of that effort and it, it was, um, I would just say it was one of the best experiences that I have ever had was filing that brief. Mm -hmm. And I'm working locally with, an with a group called DC Coalition for Safe and Just Communities um, which is fighting back against a bill in the Washington, D.C. City Council that would decriminalize prostitution in the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if that's all, uh, I would like to thank you both, Kara and Meg, to, for taking a bit of your time to being here with us today. Uh, and I hope you keep up with, with this fight because I think it's very important for today's society, particularly Western society, unfortunately. So I guess thank you again and keep on with that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. If you appreciate my work, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash the dissenter. Thank you.